Good morning. We are so delighted that you are joining us on this beautiful February morning. Today we continue as we have been doing for all quarter to talk about giving, how we utilize the resources that God has gifted us. Today we have an interesting conversation. We're going to chat about all things giving, Super Bowl, and Valentine's Day. So we hope you stay with us. Before we commence our conversation, though, I'd invite you to do that which we always do, and that is simply to invite God's presence to dwell among us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the many blessings you have given us. Thank you for your love, your compassion. Thank you for your gifts. And we would simply pray, Lord, that you give us the capacity to give ourselves over, first to your spirit, and then to a world that desperately needs it. We understand how much chaos and how much pain we experience, whether it be wars uh, around the world, whether it be natural disasters, whether it be mass shootings. We understand that the world is a complex place. And so, Father, we would just pray that you give us the courage to give of ourselves so that we can make this place just a little bit better. Stay with our conversation as we dialogue. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to welcome our, my co-host, my friend, my colleague, my partner, my amigo in all things giving. Joey, how are you today? How was your Valentine's weekend or week? And how was your Super Bowl weekend? Oh, wow. There's so much there. Um, it was good. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. Uh, I had a Super Bowl party with our uh, rooted Sabbath school group um, at one of our members' home. He had a hot tub. He has a hot tub in the backyard. So some people actually watched the Super Bowl while they were in the hot tub, which was which was nice. And then, of course, so much food, so much eating. Valentine's Day was nice to have a, a night away with my wife, um, just the two of us. It's nice that our girls are old enough that we can leave them alone and have dinner together. So that was really nice. The only downside is uh, my wife's birthday just passed too. So between her birthday and Super Bowl and Valentine's Day, I've been eating way too many sweets. <laughs> so all the healthy eating that I had done prior, that all went out the window this, this whole weekend. Well, you always have a chance to start over and start anew. I think that's that we were we are able to afford you a little bit of grace since we are in the grace business. Um, and it's it's just striking me as I hear you talk how life is always moving uh, and sometimes moving too fast for us. So yeah. we just got out of the crush of the holidays, and then we're saying, okay, well, the new year brings maybe a bit of a slower pace, maybe a rhythm that is more manageable, mm -hmm. and then boom, all these things start to happen. Yeah. And you wonder, okay, when are we going to just slow down and start uh, experiencing a rhythm that is more manageable? That's and that's that's a question that I'm still struggling with as I try to create some margins in my life. Yeah, it's so true. And how, how was your Valentine's Day and Super Bowl? And it's really great to have you back. I mean... Uh, we had Jesse and Chris. They did an admirable job, but there are no Miguel Mendez, so it's glad. It's great to have you here. With well, there they might not be Miguel Mendez. They are better than Miguel Mendez. <laughs> and Joey, you did you did a phenomenal job. I watched uh, Chris's uh, presentation, and that was just a phenomenal conversation. And Jesse. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel something because Jesse is younger than us and he's such a profound thinker. And so yes. uh, I, I just, I am so excited to see what God's going to be doing through him and through our Anthem community in the following years. Uh, my Super Bowl weekend, I'll start with that. We got invited to the house of some church members, uh, lovely people, and I promised I wasn't going to share their names. But um, I'm just going to sneak this in here because they have, Joey, this quiz that they do. Um, 
I don't want to call it gambling because we're administs, <laughs> uh, but they ask all these questions. Yeah. Uh, what color the uniforms are? Who's singing the national anthem? What's the name of the mascots? What's the score going to be? What's the first uh, scoring opportunity, et cetera, et cetera. And whoever got the most uh, questions right would get this wonderful uh, little memento. And so I said I was going to bring it uh, to our recording this Sabbath, just so that people see that we're actually doing stuff live. Um, and I don't know, I, I must have not been that great of a, of a guest because I ate all their food, <laughs> I won their prize, and then I just left. So, um, but it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. I'm, yeah. You know, I find, and just hearing you talk about your rooted community, I find that um, when I got to Loma Linda, eight years ago, there was something really distressing. I don't know if you experienced the same thing moving from San Diego. We walk into this church and we're like, oh my gosh, this is such a big community. Mm. And then you go around the country or sometimes even around the world and you realize that our community is even bigger than just the walls of, of the church. Mm. And so a preoccupation that we had was, are we going to be able to find uh, connections uh, meaningful, deep, long-lasting connections. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like uh, connections are being made and God is making connections every day, whether it's uh, rooted, um, watching Super Bowl parties from a hot tub, or whether it's me being a terrible guest and just taking everything from, from our hosts, connections are happening. And that just, I think that I want to belabor the point that regardless of what your context is, if it's if you're watching us digitally, if you're part of a really large church, or if you're part of a small church and you're trying to figure out where your place is within the economy of those relationships, mm -hmm. God is making connections every day and at all times. And that's so beautifully said. It's it's true. I mean, this church, when you first walk in, it can feel very daunting. Right? There's just so many people you wonder if you're going to ever be, find your niche and your community. But there are, there are so many welcoming people mm -hmm. in, in our congregation. And there's so many groups that if you get involved in any one of them, in a children's Sabbath schools, in, in youth or um, young adults or uh, junior high or any of our, our adult Sabbath schools, it, when, if you make these, these um, you join one of these communities, there is just, just a warmth. So you get you get the benefit of being a part of this large church and all that it can do and all the resources that it has, but you also get the warm, loving connections mm -hmm. that that come from either being involved in a ministry or or being a part of some kind of Bible mm -hmm. study or small group. Yeah, that's that's just beautifully said. And um again, this is another community, I admittedly digital. But it's a community where connections are being made. We get emails, we get mm -hmm. phone calls, we get messages, we get the playful banter with people. <laughs> yeah. um, and so even if it's in a digital way, I think God made us for relationships. Yeah. And so it's just so wonderful to be part, not only of our conversations, but to be part of a community that continues to find new and meaningful ways to connect. Yeah, and we've said so many times how, we, how much we love hearing from mm -hmm those who are watching and joining and studying alongside of us um, whenever I travel and someone comes up to me and says, oh, you know, we join you on, I love having those conversations yeah. with them, hearing about um, the impact that it's making and um, just, just connecting with mm. people. So yeah, we long for those connections. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of weeks ago, you asked me about Valentine's. Uh, Linda and I were in Colorado and so we decided that we were going to kind of move our Valentine celebration up a bit. And so we went to a spa and it was fantastic. Except for the fact that people recognized us in the spa. And you, it's, it's really strange when you find Adventists yeah. because um, you're kind of in this relaxing uh, stage. And uh, somebody kind of tapped me on the side and said, hey, we love what you do. And I said... <laughs> It, it was kind of disconcerting for a moment, and then I realized, oh, they're talking about what we do through through this church. And so, yeah. again, just to just to punctuate that point, we are so thankful and so happy to meet and to share with you. Uh, so, whether we're in a spa or at a restaurant or in an airport or simply walking down the street, we love, love, love to meet. Uh, the people that we are connecting with, because after all, it is our privilege to minister to you wherever you are. Amen. Julie, we're going to talk about this idea of giving, and I love that the lesson starts 
um, moving the foci from us as the givers to the people to whom we are supposed to give or those mm. people in whom we are supposed to invest. And I think a lot of the times we forget that the decisions uh, about how we employ our resources have real consequences that are palpable in mm. incredible ways. Um, if uh, you were at church last week, I know that some of our viewers saw the, this opportunity that uh, came about through an organization here on campus to provide water water filters to people in Turkey and Syria that mm. desperately need water. And so I think often we kind of make the relationship between uh when it comes to giving, really abstract in that we lift it up from the process and we say, well, it's about God and myself. And mm -hmm. while that is true, I love the fact that the lesson is kind of pivoting a bit and forcing us to realize that the decisions we make on resources are part of this broader picture mm -hmm. and have real life implications in the life of people, many of whom we will never get to meet. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. It's it's. It's incredible to watch how God uses these. He, he encourages his people to give, but then he takes those resources, adds his blessing, and does incredible things in the world around us. And it's not, when we realize that it's not just about us, mm -hmm. you know, there is definitely, we've, we've talked about the benefit and the blessing that comes from giving for ourselves, but that when it's not just about us, but it's about the impact that, it can, that God can make using the gifts that we return back to him, it's, it's so powerful. And that's really where the excitement begins mm. with giving. Yeah, and I think that's the important part, to realize that this idea of giving is not abstract. Mm. Uh, Vincent Miller, who's a theologian and a writer, talks about how in Christianity all these really important practices mm -hmm. have become commodified. And what that means is you just lift them out of this broader process, mm -hmm. and then they become really abstract things. And I was thinking about that as I, as I was reading the lesson today, and kind of this idea of how we commodify everything in our culture came to mind. So we all uh, drink some, degree, some sort of milk, whether it's regular milk or oat milk or coconut milk. And so I was thinking about the process of milk. Um, if, you, if you drink regular milk and you go and you go into the grocery store, you go back into the refrigerated aisle, you grab a jug of milk and the, milk, the gallon of milk is, I don't know, somewhere around $4 and that's it. But behind that jug of milk, there's this whole process, right? There's uh, a farmer that has to raise cows and milk cows and engage in the pasteurizing process and then uh, send that milk out to be uh, processed, et cetera, et cetera. And so the, the temptation always is to commodify that gallon of milk mm -hmm. to its value, right? $3.99 or $4, $4. But behind that, there's a whole process. And I think the same thing happens with giving. Often we tend to commodify giving to my 10% or whatever I give in tithes and offerings, forgetting that there's a whole process, right? That your uh, faithful and cheerful giving is part of a broader process that God is using to alter the lives of people, like you're saying, in very real and meaningful ways. Yeah, I like how you describe that. We commodify it. We, we take it out of its its context and just talk about it by by itself and you know there like we said that there is a there is a spiritual practice value that comes from giving but it's not that giving is not just separate from the impact that it makes mm -hmm. and that's that's something that Paul emphasizes when he writes to the various churches about their help and assistance for those in need in Jerusalem it's what uh, God talks about over and over again to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy and Exodus and when he when he's setting up this whole system of giving he's emphasizing and we've talked about this before how that it's constantly focused on the widows, the orphans, the, mm -hmm. the foreigners, those who are in need. And that's really important that we don't just take it and say, well, I'm just doing this to be a good person mm -hmm. or I'm doing this to um, return the tithes to God. That is part of it. But we also should emphasize that there is some good that God is doing. There's a lot of good that God is doing through it. 
Because when God does something, it, it tends to have an impact in people's lives, and that impact is typically tangible. Mm. So I was thinking about uh, this passage that the lesson starts with in the Gospel according to Luke, the fourth chapter, and scholars call it Jesus' Messianic Manifesto. Mm. And so as Luke begins to unfold the ministry of Jesus, he has Jesus uh, delivering this sermonette mm. in a synagogue. And I love the, the practical emphasis that Jesus gives to his mission and mm. his purpose, right? So Manifesto begins in Luke chapter 4. It, it covers uh, three primary verses, verses 16 through 19, and it simply says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as, what, and as was his custom, he entered the, the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where, he, where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then in 21, he says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In mm -hmm. essence, he is saying, my mission here mm -hmm. isn't simply to preach and commodify a message. It is to leverage that message to have real impact in the lives of people, people who are poor, mm -hmm. people who have uh, been blinded, people who have been uh, held hostage by either their situations or the system in which they live or even their sin and uh, to people who are being oppressed. And oppression can, as uh, as we've talked about in the past, oppression can take many forms, but it's phenomenal how Jesus gives this message that is ultimately revolutionary in its call to freedom, mm -hmm. and I, I must admit, Joey, that when I was, when I think about giving, I'm sure we think about maybe helping out Adra with uh, some of our some of our resources, but I've never thought about giving as an act of worship intended to provide freedom. Mm. Uh, so that that was really eye-opening, and I just love the fact that Jesus' Messianic Manifesto frames this conversation on giving. Wow, yeah. Um, and if, you, if we just take a moment to dwell on what Jesus is saying here, it's so powerful. I mean, these things that he's talking about, he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Mm -hmm to proclaim liberty or freedom to the captives, to recovery of sight to the blind, liberty to those who are oppressed, and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Each of those things by themselves would be such a powerful act, right? If Jesus just came to give sight to the blind, or if Jesus just came to liberate those who are held captive, either physically or by the bounds of sin, all of those things just by themselves would be so powerful. And yet Jesus says, all of this is included in my mission. And I love how you connect that to the act of giving, that when we give, we get to partner with God in the work, in that work that he's doing in the world around us. That's so powerful. And you see Jesus doing this time and time again through his earthly ministry, right? Yeah. Right there in the Gospel of Luke, the lesson again touches on a story that um, I used to tell my kids since they were yay high. And my parents told me, right, mm. this, this, there was a story about this wee little man who climbed upon a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. I mean, we sing this nursery rhyme yeah. to our kids uh, and teach it to them as one of the first songs, one of the first Christian songs that we that we actually uh, share with them. And yet it seems like what Jesus is doing in Luke 19 is actually putting this messianic manifesto to practice in the life of somebody who is blind yeah. but now can see and will use his resources to pro to provide the year of favor for the Lord. Yeah, I love that because you're you're saying that Zacchaeus is the one who's blind, but then he's able to when he starts to see, he's able to then utilize his resources to to help others. It's almost like uh, we've talked about snowballing debt, mm -hmm. right? 
where you pay off the smallest and then and then once you've paid that off then you add that amount to what you're paying off for the next biggest and the next biggest and it's like jesus is snowballing good mm. that he's doing in this world mm. like when he makes an impact in one person's life that person's resources and focus now are added to his and then that the it, it just grows exponentially mm. Um, an impact that we can make in the world around us, and we see that in the life of Zacchaeus. Yeah, let's let's look at that at that passage, um, which is found in Luke nineteen uh, verses one through ten. It says, "He entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And so it's it almost seems like Luke is setting up the stage, right, Joey? Because within the Gospel of Luke, there are Certain things that uh, that pop up. First off, the gospel seems to present G- Jesus on the, as as somebody that is always on the side of the poor. Mm-hmm. Um, Luke says, "Blessed are the poor," and uh, Matthew spiritualizes that beatitude. But Luke is very clear, right? It's earthy and material. Blessed are the poor, he mm-hmm. says. And here's this man who not only is a f- physical representation of Rome's yoke, Rome's oppression over the the Jews. And keep that that word in mind as you're connecting it to the Messianic Manifesto. Mm. Zacchaeus represents oppression, and he also represents wealth. And these two things obviously are not seen in a positive light by the gospel writer, and yet it seems like the fact that you are not seen in a positive light by the gospel writer does not preclude you from sharing in the invitation that God makes to partnership with him. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, everything that you we read from the very beginning, like you're pointing out, sort of seems like Zacchaeus is going to be the bad guy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He's going to be the bad guy. I mean, he's he's wealthy, which which aren't really the people that Jesus aligns with. And he's a tax collector whom the people really hate. And so everything says he's the bad guy, and then we see what happens. And what's really fascinating is in verse 3, it says Zacchaeus was trying to see Jesus. And so Mm -hmm. again, you have right this connection to the Messianic Manifesto, uh, oppression, poverty, and blindness. Mm -hmm. And they're all coming together in this really interesting way because it's almost as if Jesus is saying, my call to, to transform the, the life and the experiences of people is a call that overwhelms the systems that we've created to, to divide us. So whether it be economic systems or religious systems or uh, political systems, Jesus kind of is the ultimate border crosser in the sense that he he takes all of these things mm-hmm. and joins them in in this proclamation of who he is and now you see this actually come into practice yeah wow wow i i so i'm excited to see what what jesus does in zacchaeus's life because the, and i i really enjoy how the the writer of this lesson did this he shows the lives of three different men mm-hmm. right and all of them start out rich mm-hmm. right the rich young ruler zacchaeus is rich and Job is rich. Mm-hmm. Um, they all start out rich, and they have—they all have different things happen to them. For one, Jesus challenges him. The rich young ruler, Jesus challenges him to give up his wealth. Mm-hmm. Zacchaeus, we're going to find at the end, he's going to give up his wealth willingly, and then Job has his wealth taken away mm-hmm. from him and then returned to him. And yet, it isn't the presence of wealth initially in their life, or whether they have wealth at the end of the story that really seems to matter. It's something else that that seems to indicate that they are they are aligned with what God is wanting to do and then they become a follower of God. Mm. So I'm excited to see what 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 it is in Zacchaeus's life that makes him end up um, as a part of the work that God is doing. So notice that he says um, he wanted to see him. And then in verse four, he this is it's it's just a wonderful scene that Luke paints, right? Zacchaeus climbs up on this tree and Jesus comes to the place. And it's really interesting because um, I'm sure that Jesus can probably, first off, a man, a full-grown man, although short, um, climbing a tree must have caused some sort of ruckus. Mm. 
But Luke is very intentional, right? Jesus doesn't yell at Zacchaeus as he's walking towards him. Luke is intentional in saying when Jesus came to the place, mm. um, he caught, he looked up and said to him. So here's what I think is really fascinating. When it comes to our partnerships with God, there is a time and place for the partnership kind of to move to this to this next level. Um, we always talk, uh, particularly in, in the business world, right, that you need, when it comes to partnering, whether uh, with a company or, or buying stocks or whatever it is, there's a time and a place when you can maximize a return on investment, right? And it seems like this is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is waiting for the precise moment to give Zacchaeus what he needs. And in Zacchaeus' case, he needs to be seen. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus waits for the time, the perfect time to create a partnership with Zacchaeus by giving Zacchaeus that which he has always needed, which is simply to be seen. And I think this story is it's such a touching story and we're going to contrast this as as you were mentioning with the with the rich young ruler because here's a man who hadn't been seen he was a caricature of 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 himself right he was defined by both his wealth and his position his status as uh, a vassal of Rome but he was never, the man himself, Zacchaeus, had never been seen. Mm -hmm. And here Jesus is going to begin a partnership with him by seeing him. I love that. I love how you are connecting Zacchaeus's greatest need to what Jesus provides mm -hmm. for him. Because it would be easy to just think, well, Jesus was waiting for Zacchaeus to initiate. You know, mm -hmm. like he needed, he needs to do some work in order for Jesus to come in and 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 then and then partner with him. But you're not you're not talking so much about what Zacche what Jesus needs Zacchaeus to do. You're talking about what Zacchaeus needed mm -hmm. needed to receive from Jesus, and I think that's powerful because Jesus doesn't always just wait for somebody to initiate, mm -hmm. right? Like in in Luke, we have have those stories, those three stories about um, the lost coin, right? The lost sheep and the lost son, right? And in all of those, in two of them, the person actually goes out to look, right? right. The shepherd looks for the sheep. The, the, the woman looks for the lost coin. Um, in the third one, the father waits, right? And it, 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 the question isn't, um, what is their part? The question is, what is it that they need? And mm. the father and the son needed to come to a realization yeah. that he wanted yeah. to come back to the father. It wouldn't have helped if the father, while the son was partying, for the father to come mm. out and look for him because there wouldn't have been that connection. So that's why the father waits. Mm. I love how you say that because you're saying that what Zacchaeus needed to be, to, to experience the most was to be seen to be seen truly for what, what he is and what he could be. That's powerful. And you know what, Joey, as you're, as you're saying that, you can see that kind of buried in the text, right? He climbs upon a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Yeah. Zacchaeus thinks that what he needs is to see God. Mm. And I think often what, what we do is, like we were saying at the beginning, we commodify all these things, right? So I am going to give return whatever it is, my tithe or my offering, or I'm going to give to my church or to uh, this benevolent association that I believe in because I want to do my duty as a good person, right? Mm -hmm. um, I want that to be to bring me closer to God. And it seems that this story isn't saying that as you so eloquently stated. What it's saying is you think you need something. Mm -hmm. You think God needs your finances or your resources. But that's not really how it works. God wants to gift you something. Mm. Uh, God wants, Zacchaeus thinks he needs to see Jesus. Really what he needs is to be seen. Mm. And so he, as he is seen, isn't it interesting that Jesus calls him by name, mm -hmm. right? There's, there's no way to know that, um, that Jesus had met Zacchaeus. The text doesn't, doesn't say that. But I can almost hear the people around him. And we talked about this desire of being seen and how often we be, Zacchaeus was a caricature of himself, right? So you can imagine all the things that people said about him. Here's the, the cat tax collector, the crook, the short guy. Um, but Jesus 
Jesus sees the man, mm. and so he says, Zacchaeus, come down. Uh, I want to I come to your house today. Mm. And it is only when Zacchaeus, that need within Zacchaeus is fulfilled, that the response follows from him. But it's not a response that seeks to leverage uh, his wealth in order to feel better about himself. In other words, to commodify it. It's a response that comes from an abundant heart. And so Zacchaeus in the end says, um, Behold, uh, Lord, half of my possession I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Here's the thing. Once you give half of your possession to the poor, and tax collectors were notorious for defrauding. So once yeah. you repay what you've defrauded, there's nothing left. Mm. That thing that had defined, that caricature picture that had defined Zacchaeus for so long mm. is stripped away. And Zacchaeus says, you've seen me. So all this other stuff that I thought I needed, I no longer need. Yeah, and that's what we see as the difference between him and the rich young ruler, mm. right? For the rich young ruler, it's interesting that he is he is described as the rich young mm -hmm. ruler, and the and the lesson does a great job of saying those are the three things that we know about him: mm -hmm. is that he was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler, right? And what Jesus is seems to be saying is like what Zacchaeus was willing to do willingly by himself. Jesus is calling for him to do. He says, "You see your identity as being rich, young, and a ruler." I want you to give up one of those things because your true identity, if you really want to be aligned with following me, your your identity in me is the most important thing, mm. not your riches. Yeah. You think you're rich, you need your riches for your identity. Yeah. You don't need to be rich in order to follow me. Wow, Joey, that's, that's such... That's such a radical view of what Jesus is asking because it's easy, right, to ground our identity on things... Uh, that other people place upon us. Mm. Um, so we're going to go and let's 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 jump into it. Since you opened the door, let's go to Matthew 19 mm. and just keep in mind how the story of Zacchaeus ends. I don't have anything, and then Zacchaeus, and then Jesus says, "Today salvation has come to this house, mm. for the Son of Man has come." And again, picking up on this idea that you that you introduced us to, these three uh, these three parables of searching. In the Gospel of Luke, for the Son of Man has come to look for that which was lost. Mm -hmm. And it seems that that's not only echoing those three parables, but it's also echoing what started us off on our journey today, which is that messianic manifesto. What has Jesus come to do? And then how can we come alongside Jesus to partner with him? Mm. And then you have uh, Matthew 19, uh, verse 16 and through 26. It says, and someone, notice it, we don't know who this is. John, uh, Luke introduces Zacchaeus by name right at the beginning. Mm. And he does so because we know that Zacchaeus isn't seen. What is seen is a caricature of him. Yeah. And someone came to him and said, teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Mm. Uh, and Jesus responds, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good, but if you wish it to enter into his life, uh, keep my commandments. I love the, this, this initial dialogue because here's this man who, is, who has, throughout his life, we can assume he's been seen. Mm. Everyone's seen him. So he's a complete uh, opposite of, of Zacchaeus. But he comes to Jesus with an agenda. Zacchaeus just wants to see Jesus. Mm. This guy comes to Jesus with an agenda and says, teacher, rabbi. And we know that in the Gospels, when somebody refers to Jesus as rabbi, it's a, it's a hint. And by the way, you can just look at, uh, your, read your Gospels carefully and notice that every time somebody refers to Jesus as rabbi or as teacher, the Gospel writers are giving us a hint that these people aren't going to get it. Mm. Um, that they've, they've understood partly who Jesus is, but they're not, they're not able to see the complete picture. So we already now... Are, are hearing uh, kind of where this where this young man lives. He says, good teacher, uh, good rabbi. And Jesus responds to him in a really interesting way. He says, why do you call me good? Mm. Um, there is only one who is good. Mm. 
But if you uh, wish to enter into his command, into his life, keep my keep his commandments. Why do you think, G Joey? I I kind of dying to hear uh, how how you see this this mm -hmm. response. Why do you think Jesus is responding to this to this man who has been seen in this particular way? Mm -hmm. I don't know. It could be that Jesus is trying to. It seems like Jesus is trying to challenge him to see things in a in a deeper way mm -hmm. than he has been, mm -hmm. right? There's, and and it really depends on the the gospel that you're reading in, um, because as the as the writer of the of the lesson talked about, it, this story is found mm -hmm. in in it several times in the gospels, and so um, there is. Not so much here, but in, in some of the other Gospels, there is a sense that he's looking for something. In another sense, in some, some it, it almost seems like he's like cocky and he's bringing to, you know, he's, he's just trying to get assurance from Jesus. You, you know, it's like, it's like the kid that brings an A plus to yeah. his parents and shows them the A plus and says, oh, look what I did and wants to get that pat on the back. But, you know, Ellen White talks about how there was a sense in, in this person that he was, he sensed that even though he had done all the right things, that there was something wrong. There was not, it was, it was incomplete. And so he comes up to Jesus looking for something more. I, I don't know what, what it, what was going in this person's heart, but it does seem like Jesus is trying to dig a little bit mm. deeper. I, th I think you're actually uh, spot on. And I think you're spot on because of the conversation that's fo that follows, right? Keep the, how are you good? Mm. Right. This is a this is a question that that I think is lingering in the air. What makes us good? Mm -hmm. And so Jesus says, "Well, you know what to do if you want to be good. Follow the commandments." And um, and I think what Jesus, as you're saying, as you said so beautifully, what I what Jesus is trying to actually challenge is our definitions of what being good means. Yeah. Because if you're trying to superimpose those definitions on Jesus, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Mm. And again, it goes back to the point that we started our conversation, right? As Miller is talking about, com uh, about commodifying spirituality. If you try to superimpose Jesus or the gospel or God, into a Western, capitalistic, 21st century, Southern California, Adventist view of life, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Mm. And so I think what's happening here is exactly what you're saying. This, this, this young man comes with this, with this value system, and he wants Jesus to fit into that value system. Mm. And Jesus says... If you're trying to do that, you're going to be disappointed. If you're trying to make me part of the furniture, mm -hmm. you're going to be disappointed. And I think often when it comes not only to our spiritual life, but to our giving patterns and the way we perceive uh, giving, we try to fit it all into this neatly stacked set of theological and moral and values that we already possess. And we say, okay, Jesus, you're part of the furniture. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is saying, no, um, there's, there's a deeper meaning behind this. And eking out that meaning is going to require you, as you said, to dig a little deeper and maybe to strive to, instead of trying to make Jesus fit into your value system, it's going to necessitate that you create a value system around Jesus. Mm -hmm. And the way you do that is you ask, what does God value the most? Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, where uh, Luke's Luke 4 is, is really helpful. Uh, good news for the poor, mm -hmm. uh, recovery of sight for the blind, uh, binding up for the brokenhearted, and liberty for the oppression. That is what God, God values the most. And so if you create your value system around Jesus, your values might look, what your definition of being good might look a little bit different. Wow. And that's that's exactly what Jesus does here, mm -hmm. right? He reframes. He he thinks that keeping this man thinks that keeping the commandments is just keeping these, like you said, commodified laws or abstract laws um, outside of oh, okay, I did this, I did this, I did this. But what Jesus is saying: Have you really made an impact on the people around you? Are you willing to give up these mm -hmm. things that you value and that you say you believe are so core to your identity in order? to care for the poor and for those in need. 
are you good? Are you willing to go that far? Mm. Because that's what it really means to mm -hmm. be good. Absolutely, Joey. And you see that being borne out in the text, right? Jesus will say, okay, we'll keep the commandments. And the this, this young man says, which ones? And we know why he would have said that, because again, they were so far removed. By this point, these ideas, just like the milk carton in the refrigerator at your grocery aisle that you pick up without thinking about the process and the reasons and the ideas. Um, for example, grocery stores make absolutely no money on milk. Um, they, they, they actually uh, sell the, their milk at a loss because they feel like as a staple, milk, buying milk is going to get you into their store to spend money on other things where they actually do make money. So when you just look at the milk in the refrigerator aisle, you're actually, you actually miss the whole process, the reason, the rationale, everything else. And by this point, commandments had become that milk, that jug of milk in the refrigerator aisle. They had been so commodified and so separate from God's original intent that the, that the young ruler can't make, can't actually create a difference between the 613 uh, Levitical laws that you had that they followed, the Ten Commandments that you have in Exodus, and then the two commandments that you have throughout the Torah that kind of frame everything. So he's saying, well, they're all the same. So which one should I follow, Jesus? Because obviously these things had become abstract to him. Mm. Yeah, so they were separate. They were just things for him to do rather than um, connected to a, the impact or the right. reason why you actually right. needed to do them. Which is why it's so fascinating, isn't it, that Jesus starts listing them. Mm -hmm. He says, okay, well, I'll play your game. And so he just starts giving them a list. Yeah. Um, and he ends, notice he ends mm -hmm. with the most important of them all, right? Yeah. He ends with that commandment on which the whole Torah is built. Uh, you shall love your neighbor of as yourself. Mm -hmm. And the, the, this young man answers, all these things I have done, what am I still lacking? Mm -hmm. And Jesus said, if you wish to be complete, and uh, we, we can spend some time uh, talking about what he really means, right? If you want to be perfect, mm -hmm. if you want to keep covenant perfectly, you have to do one more thing. Uh, sell your possessions, give them to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Mm -hmm. This is perfection. This is the value system that God, uh, that God has instituted, and this is what Zacchaeus will do in Luke 19. It's fascinating, though, that in that moment of partnership, Zacchaeus's spiritual life, his walk with Christ, is more perfect even though it's been a journey full of mistakes and mishaps, it is in that moment more perfect or more complete than this young rich ruler's life mm. who has been lived out by trying to keep these commodified commandments to the T. And I think that's a really important point because if you just put these people side by side and asked any person on the street, which man is more perfect, mm -hmm. I think 99% of them would have said yeah. the rich young ruler. I mean, he's, he's done all the things right. Yeah. From, from, from when he was young, he says, I've done all of these, all of these I've kept. Um, from when he was young, he kept all of these, these rules. He did everything right. He ended up becoming rich. He's like the pinnacle of what all the parents want their children mm -hmm. to be. And then there's Zacchaeus who was a tax collector, who had defrauded people, who everybody hated, who wasn't even allowed to go to the temple. Mm -hmm. Like there is Zacchaeus, right? And, and, and yet Jesus is saying, really, the heart of Zacchaeus is much closer to the heart of God than this man, mm. which is, which is mind blowing, but it goes to what you were saying. This man was keeping all of the right, he was doing all the right things apart from, disconnected from the true motivation behind Oof. it. 
Whereas Zacchaeus had, had really gotten it. He had experienced the heart of God himself, and then he could reflect the heart of God for others. And that's, I think, the bottom line when it comes not only to your giving patterns, but to your but to life itself, right? Yeah. I've kept every commandment there is in the law. Well, let's let's see. Let's actually pro prove that. Because if you if you've loved your neighbor as yourself, this this ask mm. should be easy. Mm. But it's not. And so you have this notion when the young man heard this statement verse 22 it's just a heartbreaking story while while Zacchaeus comes down and there's a party at his house this young man comes down or comes away as as the original language says grieving mm. but he's not grieving because of Jesus's request the text says he's grieving because he had much property mm -hmm. in other words there were two competing value systems he had and he realized that Jesus well Jesus is too radical to be integrated into your preferred value system mm -hmm. so again that has to be stripped away and you have to create this new value system this radically different value system which is why Joey I love the way that we um, move through uh, our, our giving and our conversations on giving in this particular church. Mm -hmm. There's other churches when uh, the time to look at membership roles and membership rosters come and you say, well, what, what are the qualifications or the, the determinations that one needs to follow in order to be considered a member in good standing? And one of those and I know you and I've been in these in these rooms where, where these conversations are happening. One of those is, well, how faithfully do you give? Um, and there's other stories I've heard from colleagues around the world that say, well, um, we actually have to check uh, how much people are giving. And in my eight years here, that's never happened at Loma Linda. And I hope that it will never happen. And yet somehow God continues to bless us. Uh, we don't preach much on giving. I think this is the longest uh, period of time that I've been involved in just talking routinely about giving. And yet God has continued to bless in, in ways that baffle me. Um, because we, we feel like people want to buy into a vision, a vision that aligns with God's values. And when that happens... This idea of uh, that is present both in the book of Exodus as they're building the tabernacle, and again, as we've said before, in, uh, in the construction of the temple, people will have to say, please stop giving. We, we don't have any, anywhere to place this mm -hmm. because we're not selling guilt mm -hmm. or giving as a response to some abstract commodified commandment. We're asking, here's the vision, here's what God values, how would you partner with us in that? Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, because it's not, you know, there, there's a whole system of giving that, that God has in the Old Testament, which in previous lessons and in this one, you know, we've touched upon and how they were very much focused on giving to the poor, right? We talked about how every third year, all the tithes went mm -hmm. to the those in need, right? Um, the seven year, everything would, seventh year, everything would lay follow. And, and, you know, in Deuteronomy, it talks about how the, how the poor could come and take, um, partake of that, you know, the, 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 the year of Jubilee where everything is reset. So all of these things were in place, but, but it was not so much, um, the, the weeds, the, the details that were so important, but these details show the heart of God, mm -hmm. which is a heart of love for those who are in need. And that is reflected over and over again in the words of the prophets. And if that isn't happening within us, it doesn't matter if we're doing the, the, the check marks, right? Like mm -hmm. you're talking about, if we're commodifying the, this giving, oh, I give exactly 10% and so I'm good. What, what God really wants is, is your heart in, in, using the old, the prophet's words, is your heart circumcised, mm. right? Are you experiencing that love and desire to help those who are in need? Um, and and that that goes that that is revealed in our individual giving. It's give it is revealed in our systematic giving, right? There's a place for both of those, but 
um, that is really at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. Oh, that's so beautifully said. So we're going to veer away from kind of what you've heard from maybe preachers and pastors throughout your life in that you need to give to this church uh, and you need to support this church through your tithes. You can do that if you believe in the vision and the mission of this church. If you believe in this program and what we're doing, then please, uh, we would love your giving. But if there's somebody in need around you, mm-hmm. we also support and wholly, wholly encourage you to build and to dive into those spaces that God is calling you. Whether it's here in this community or in the communities that you are, your tithes and your offerings are an issue that is completely, completely between you and God. And what we think we are, our calling is, is simply to say, make sure that in your giving, your values align with what God values the most. And you've, I think, beautifully stated what that is. So Joey, will you pray for us? Yes. God, we wanna thank you for being a giving God. You gave into nothingness and produced Mm -hmm. creation. Mm -hmm. And even when sin and brokenness entered this world, you gave of yourself, your life, in order to bring about new life for us. So as your followers, we ask that you help us to also be givers, to have your heart of caring for the brokenhearted, to liberty for those who are oppressed, sight for the blind. Help us to step in those spaces so that we can work alongside you is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. And so our dear friends, this week our prayer for you is that Christ bind you up so that you may go out and bind up others. We'll see you next week as we continue to talk about what it means to be a faithful and cheerful giver. God bless you.